healthy from the inside out. This is Valley Well by a Salud, a health and wellness information program brought to you by ValleyWise Health and District Medical Group. Each week, we go in-depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello, and welcome to Valley Well by a Salud. I'm your host, Lauren Vargas. When disaster strikes, do you know what to do? It's something we don't want to think about, but being prepared for an emergency could save your life or someone else's life. So today we're talking about how to provide first aid for some of the most common and most serious situations. Joining us to discuss is Dr. Sidney Vale. He's the chairman for the Department of Surgery at Valleywise Health Medical Center, and he provides training across the U.S. on disaster preparedness. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So first of all, I took a Stop the Bleed class at Valleywise Health a couple of years ago. And I, I don't know, we might have to give a disclaimer for this episode because from what I saw in that class, I mean, I almost fainted from the images and the aftermath of some of these disasters and learning how to stuff bullet wounds with you know the gauze and everything. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not, but when you think about it, what in life is, you can come upon an accident. You can have an accident at home, opening some a can opener and getting cut on the edge of the can. People have an adversity to injury, blood, just the thought of it. And what we try to do is prepare you for that because it's going to happen. It's part of life, unfortunately. So can you tell us what Stop the Bleed is all about? Stop the Bleed was a federal initiative that really looked at how can people be more prepared to help fellow citizens, whether it came out of nightclub shootings, mass casualty events, it doesn't matter. It's all about helping your fellow man. Just like CPR, people learn CPR on the street, somebody passes out, has no heartbeat, you do CPR, you have a chance to help them. This is what Stop the Bleed is all about because people don't necessarily just die of heart attacks, they die from injuries or bleeding or other things that people can intervene on and learn how to help. So what skills do you learn in Stop the Bleed? Stop the Bleed was based on two or three basic premises. Number one is truly stopping bleeding. Blood is life. If you keep blood in the body, we stand less chances of going into shock. So the more you can keep blood in a body, stopping it from bleeding, stopping it from spurting, whatever you want to call it, then you stand a good chance of helping that patient survive. So what we do, we deal with three things. Number one is direct pressure learning where those pressure points are, because you can just imagine, you know, mom sees little kid bleeding from his finger. What do they do? They put pressure on it. Perfect. That's exactly what we teach all over the body. Number two is the application of tourniquets. Tourniquets should be used on arms or legs because sometimes you need your hands to call 911. You need your hands to do something else. So we use tourniquets to control bleeding by putting enough pressure that it stops bleeding. Number three is packing wounds. We have a hemostatic gauze that we recommend that can help stop bleeding from wounds, open wounds, big dog bites, um, you know, cuts on the face, scalp lacerations, anything that's bleeding that you can't put a tourniquet on or may not be convenient to hold pressure on, we teach people how to pack it's a term we use, packing a wound, how to put the gauze in that wound correctly, holding pressure on it so to help stop that bleeding. I, I must be such a wimp. I'm already getting lightheaded just talking about this. Um, good thing I'm not a doctor, right? So are they still <laughs> I hate, doing- I hate blood. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, are they still doing in-person trainings, you know, with this pandemic going on? 
Right now, we're not. Um, we've been approached by a bunch of people, a bunch of organizations, and for the moment, we're not doing that to try and you know restrict and keep with social distancing, even though everybody's wearing masks. But we certainly, you can learn some of this stuff online. Um, there are other mechanisms. We are also taking reservations, if you will, so that we can, once it's okay, go back to teach live uh, and in person. We have a group of people waiting to get out there. You know, us being on hold for the last three, four months is it's killing us because we were the largest uh, educators, meaning we've educated the most people in the state of Arizona from Valley Wise Health, and we just we can't get out there and do it. So we feel bad because look at what's going on in the world today with protests, with riots. You know, you never know when a brick is coming through your window of your car, or God forbid, you get involved in one of these things or drive into it and you get hurt. Wouldn't it be nice to know how to help yourself or help somebody else who could use your help to save their life? So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about basic first aid that we can educate people about. So what is the goal of first aid in general? There's a few goals. The first goal is recognition that somebody needs your help, whether it's yourself or somebody, a family member, a friend, or even a total stranger. Um, it's also being safe. First aid is really based on you remaining safe or if you become a victim, you're not helping anybody now. Somebody has to help you. So recognition that somebody needs your help recognition of the safety of your surrounding areas. You don't want to climb down a hundred foot hill to go help somebody if it's going to put you in jeopardy. But you being able to call 911 is a huge first step of first aid. It's again, getting a person the help that they need, whether you provide it or somebody else provides it, but doing it safely. If you're just tuning in with us, we are talking with Dr. Sydney Vale about disaster preparedness. If you're in an emergency and need help, Valleywise Health has two emergency rooms, one at 24th Street in Roosevelt, Valleywise Health Medical Center. The other is in Maryvale at 51st Ave and Campbell. If you're not in an emergency, but you still need to see a doctor, you can call Valleywise Health Monday through Friday um, at 1-833-VLLY. WSE, uh, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., or you can visit valleywisehealth.org and book an appointment. So what are some good tips to know, regardless of the situation you're in, um, for someone who is responding to an emergency situation, you know, checking the scene, like you said, calling 911? What are some good things to just have in your back pocket? Well, I'm going to take that one literally, what you just asked, because having certain supplies in your back pocket, number one is your hands. They are the key to everything we do, whether it's putting a tourniquet on a patient, but you have to have a tourniquet with you, whether it's packing a wound with this special gauze, this um, uh, it's called Z-Medica Quick Clot, packing that wound. You need your hands. So having your hands is number one. Number two is being willing to do it. So you have to have the wherewithal. Yes, people get lightheaded, people get woozy, people get afraid, but it's really trying to think, what can I do? Can I help them? And if you're willing to help, then you're going to go into action. If you're not willing to help, then at least call 911, at least stand with the person and try and keep them calm and, or prevent them from having other serious injuries. You know, a person's laying in the street, you're going to leave them in the street, you're going to help pull them out. You're going to do your best under the circumstances, but at least do something. And again, that something may just be called 911. So on that note, what gear um, or supplies do you recommend people have either, you know, handy in their car at all times or in their home? So there's a few things. It depends on how much 
money you want to spend and how much effort you want to put into the training. So everybody has towels at home. Sure, you can put a towel around any wound. Well, that's not a tourniquet, but you can put direct pressure using your hands or a towel, a t-shirt, it doesn't matter what, into a wound to apply pressure with. But again, we're teaching you the technique. You can look these things up on Google. And if you can't take a class, then I suggest you go on Google. And if you go to the website for Z Medica, M-E-D-I-C-A, they're the producers of the Quick Clot. They actually have videos and instruction that you can become very familiar with how to do this. So you don't need the live in person, although we suggest you do it because we have mannequins and models that allow you to actually perform these procedures, but you can learn it online. So buying combat, uh, uh, excuse me, buying Quick Clot will cost you anywhere from $25 to $35 please do not buy these things on eBay. There are too many counterfeits out there. Buy them from reputable uh, places that sell these kind of things so that you know what you're getting is the real deal. Same thing with tourniquets. You can spend $11 on a tourniquet. You can spend $35 on a tourniquet. You can spend even more, but you got to know how to use it. Again, you can go online to learn, which is fine, but the in-class training gives you the hands-on exposure and feedback of putting it on somebody figuring out that we've stopped the bleeding by you can't feel a pulse anymore and having us give you feedback immediately on whether you did it right or we could make it better. Uh, but at least again, it's better training, but Hey, we'll take the basic stuff online if we have to, if you can't make a class, but again, the kind of stuff you need to buy, it can be low cost. But if you think about the cost of dinner, I'd rather have something that saves my life. I can make dinner at home and save money and then use that money to buy a tourniquet and the quick clot. Absolutely. So as a trauma surgeon, can you tell us about some of the experiences in the hospital, you know, without giving away, um, you know, personal information of a time when someone's life could have been saved or um, a, an injury could have been prevented from further injury if someone had given that person first aid before they got to the hospital? We actually see that all the time. Uh, some of the more common things are more rural based. People roll ATVs, people have accidents out in the field. When they're not close to healthcare, they're not close to a major highway, they're not close to friends or family, they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, but people do stop and help when they drive by or ride by or whatever. And yes, there are people who are willing to help, but I will tell you that there are plenty of people who are afraid because they don't know how to help. Even though we think it's common sense kind of stuff, people are afraid. And there are patients that we do get by the time the ambulance or the helicopter and the paramedics get to that patient. They have been in shock for so long, sometimes we cannot save their life. And despite our best try, we transfuse them, we operate on them, we do all of our normal stuff, but had somebody offered aid, even simple aid, it can make the difference. I mean, look at somebody who's very cold in the wintertime on one of our mountains here who's hypothermic. If you cover them with a blanket, it slows down the hypothermia. Something as simple as that is part of first aid. Absolutely. So like you said, the important thing is to know how to do, to do these things. So on the other hand, have you had an experience where someone came into the hospital and was given bad first aid and it made things worse? Yes. A um, couple of different examples, people putting tourniquets on when they're not needed. Now, I will tell you the complications from tourniquets are very, very, very low. They're not zero, but they're very low. But what happens is they're uncomfortable and downright painful sometimes. And when they're put on and you don't need them, the patients are usually so distracted by that pain that they 
sometimes forget about other pain. But what we have had is people try their best to offer first aid and they use home remedies. We have seen bars of soap put in wounds. We have seen, okay, don't laugh, chicken soup stock, you know, the powdered stuff put into a wound. We have seen wax put into a wound. We've seen super glue try and close certain lacerations or cuts and the glue doesn't stay on the outside, which is where it belongs. It gets on the inside and it causes all kinds of tissue damage. So people have good intentions, but it comes out wrong. Dr. Sydney Vale, trauma surgeon at Valleywise Health, answering our top questions about how to be prepared for a disaster and providing first aid in an emergency. Um, you can make an appointment with Valleywise Health for non-emergencies by calling 1-833-855-9973, or you can visit valleywisehealth.org. So let's go into some of the basic first aid and and see if we can give people some information, Um, starting with CPR. So in my mind, that might be one of the most important things to know um, when you're out in public and run into something. What is CPR actually used for? So CPR is indicated when people have had a heart attack, when their heart stops or it's not pumping effectively to pump blood to the brain and to all the other organs. And the whole idea of CPR was as a first responder, meaning you and I, the public, they could stop, assess, and perform the procedure properly, which then gives the patient a chance to survive long enough to either have paramedics show up with all the equipment or to get them to a hospital. The whole idea is to intervene appropriately. The worst thing, sorry, not the worst thing, but a bad thing is when people don't know CPR, they try CPR, they do it incorrectly, they're not helping the patient. They think they are because it's a last ditch effort. And don't get me wrong, being a good Samaritan protects you and it's great that you're trying, but if you don't know how to do this, you can cause harm. So we don't want to do that. But CPR does effectively try to circulate blood while the heart is not working and has about a 25% reduction in mortality for people who have heart attacks outside the hospital. That's amazing. That's That means you got a great chance of surviving if somebody can start CPR very quickly. And that's actually different than what I read when I was researching for this show today is um, – you know, online, they were saying, even if you don't know what you're doing, just give it a try. And you're saying that's not quite the case. It, again, if you do it correctly, that's great. If you're winging it and you start breaking ribs or break their breastbone, you really haven't done a whole lot of good because that could be hurting the patient in other ways. So uh, again, I'm not the one out in the field. I'm I'm just giving advice that if you know how to do it, please do it. If you don't know how to do it, think long and hard before you start to do something that you're not sure how to do. It's like me going and trying to do neurosurgery. You do not want me doing neurosurgery. Um, But again, if it's a last ditch effort and you think you know what you're doing, listen, they're going to die if you don't do it. They may not die if you do it. So yes, you could give it a try. But again, I just want people to understand you offer the patient a better chance. If that was your loved one, would you want somebody who knew what they were doing because they spent an hour learning about it? Or do you want just somebody who has no clue doing it? Well, some people take either. That's fine. I would just advise, please learn it. It does not take long. It's not expensive. In fact, it's probably, we teach it for free, Stop the Bleed, and you can learn CPR for free in a lot of places. It's worth the investment in time. If it were you, or your family, you'd want the person to invest that time. 
Absolutely. And it's important to refresh your memory too, because I've gotten the training a couple times and I still have a hard time remembering, okay, what is, what is the rhythm and, and what are the steps? So um, it's important to continue that education as well. Um, Chencha Flores is our audio producer for this show, and he has a couple questions for you. In listening to all this going on, I had to wonder, is it frustrating for you to watch movies or TV shows that have uh, scenarios where people are, are bleeding and, and some of the things that they do in those? So glad you brought that one up. Uh, there was actually a study done. Somebody wrote this up. They watched multiple t doctor TV shows, hospital TV shows, and showed that 85% of all people that heart, their heart stops, they were able to be revived and they were able to be a normal person. That is so far from the truth, you have no idea. It is not 85% walk out 100% normal. So yes, it is annoying to us. In fact, my wife loves to harass me when I'm watching one of these shows. I'm trying not to watch it. She's watching it. I'm trying to read. She's like, hey, what do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, please turn it off. That's garbage. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people do fall into the trap of what's on TV or what's in a movie or what's on the news is always reality. So if I'm bleeding from a gunshot wound like Rambo, I should not put gunpowder in it and light it on fire. Is that what you're saying? Wow. What a concept. I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> no, you do not do the Rambo idea. You actually go online or you go to a class and learn some real first aid and not do what you see in the movies. So you mentioned bleeding. Let's talk about that for a little bit. So obviously there's a wide range of injuries you could have when you're bleeding, but in general, what steps should you take to control the bleeding? The first step we always do is say direct pressure. Find where it is bleeding. And sometimes that means removing a person's sleeve off their shirt, taking off their shirt, finding the source of the bleeding because you don't want to be holding pressure in one area and find out they're bleeding in another. So what we do routinely is in the hospital, we're taking off all their clothes, but out in the field, we limit in a limited fashion, try and either pull their pants leg up or cut it off uh, or open their shirt and just to find the source of the bleeding. And the best advice we have is if you find the source of the bleeding, put your weight on it. You know, hold pressure with both of your palms. What you'll see us do, what you've seen in the movies, uh, a lot of the military guys do is they'll use their knee because you can actually push a lot harder with your knee with more force and it leaves your hands free. So you can push on there with your knee. But the whole idea is pressure. Put pressure on what's bleeding. That will slow down, maybe even stop the source of that bleeding. And then it gives people a chance to get there and help appropriately. For how long do you put that pressure on? If you're packing a wound with the, the hemostatic gauze, uh, the quick clot, we tell people you got to hold for at least five minutes. If you're not using a hemostatic gauze, a gauze that actually causes blood to clot, you've got to hold for at least 10 minutes. Most people have what's called a bleeding time. The amount of time it takes them to stop bleeding normally is about six to eight minutes. So you're holding minimum of eight minutes, if not 10 minutes. That's a long time to be holding a wound. You're you're getting tired. It's like doing CPR. The last time I did CPR out at a restaurant, I was doing it for 12 minutes. I was exhausted. And I'm in good shape, but that totally took it out of me. Yeah. And that's probably surprising for some people. You don't realize that it is exhausting, especially if the adrenaline's running and, and you're in that situation. Um, it can be quite tiring. So we're talking with Dr. Sydney Vale about how to administer first aid in a disaster or in an emergency or in an accident. Um, you can call ValleyWise Health if you have any questions. Um, if you're in an emergency, we have two emergency rooms. Um, one is at 24th Street and Roosevelt. The other is at 
51st Avenue and Campbell. The number to call is 833-855-9973, or you can visit valleywisehealth.org. Um, we've talked about bleeding and, and how to stop bleeding. Um, and we mentioned tourniquets um, earlier in the show. Um, quickly, can you explain for, for non-medical people, what is a tourniquet and how do you know when that's necessary? So a tourniquet is a device, typically a commercially based device, but you can do them homemade if you had to in the field that controls on an extremity, an arm and or leg. Uh, it's a band that goes around, whether it's a rip towel or something that you wrap around as tight as you can. And it's tight enough to actually stop blood flow through the blood vessels. A commercial tourniquet is usually 90 to hundred percent effective if put on correctly a improvised tourniquet, one that you make in the field, let's say out of an old t-shirt and a socket wrench, um, has about a 30 to 40% chance of being successful at doing what we want it to do. So improvised can work, but it doesn't always work. So the tourniquets come in different styles. There are some that you tighten up with Velcro, and then it has this, what's called a windlass, a stick on it, if you will, that you tighten the final tightening so that it stops the bleeding. People have to know the appropriate way to put them on. And again, a commercial tourniquet is a whole lot better than trying to make one yourself. We've had patients come in with them homemade. Hey, great. Somebody did something. Uh, but again, we would rather it be a commercial tourniquet. It's anywhere from $11 up to $35. But the tourniquets are necessary when it's only an armor leg, when you can't control the bleeding by other means, or you need your hands back. Uh, again, you need a cell phone. Get, if you had a tourniquet, put it on. That way you can use your hands, you know, wave somebody down, get on your cell phone, do other things. So that's when we use tourniquets. And that's where Stop the Bleed comes in so handy to learn how to actually use that. Let's talk about burns for a minute. So Arizona Burn Center, Valleywise Health, one of the top burn centers in the country. Um, how can someone handle a burn? Let's say they're in the kitchen and, and get burned. Um, what, what is the first thing that, that someone should do for a burn? So the first thing with burns are stop the burning process. So if there's a flame burn, get it out as quick as you can. That is a primary concern of us that you want to stop that burning process. If it's a liquid, get it off you. Number two, call for help. In five minutes, you may be in a lot of pain and not be able to call for help, but call for help immediately. Get on your phone, call 911, whatever. The next thing is do not do home remedies. Please do not do home remedies. Don't pour milk on it, butter on it, shampoo on it, soap on it, chicken soup. Don't pour anything on it. A cool towel is fine. It doesn't have to be sterilized. It's just a towel that's fine or a t-shirt that's clean. Wet it down. It helps slow down the, it cools down the burn. Um, if it's a huge burn, we don't recommend cooling it off because then you're going to lose body temperature because when you burn the skin, it loses the ability to control your temperature. Just stop the burning process, number one. Call for help, number two. Seek help, if you will. If it's a big enough burn, please come to the Arizona Burn Center or your local hospital. They can always transfer you after dealing with you and seeing what's going on. But let's go back in time. Let's prevent the burn. There are people who don't understand that prevention is the key to not being burned. I know that sounds ridiculous, but understanding that when you do use a deep fryer, you see these videos every year around Thanksgiving and Christmas, how to avoid and prevent fires or getting burned. So that's the really critical part. And a lot of people, you don't realize, even if you don't think it's that bad of a burn, we do have a burn clinic and they can really help um, the healing process and reduce the appearance of the scarring. 
Absolutely. I mean, our, our people are fabulous. We're the second busiest burn center in America. And I think they have every trick up their sleeve that's imaginable. So yes, whether it's burn scars or functional burns, meaning it's across a joint and you need physical therapy, they are the experts who can help you achieve the goal of getting back to as normal as humanly possible under the best of circumstances versus staying at home, letting a burn scar contract and get tighter, 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 not understanding that with some intervention on our part, we could actually help you maintain your mobility, your being able to stretch your arm, bend it, whatever. But people have got to come and please do come to the burn clinic. You know, that's what it's there for. You can make an appointment, walk in, they will see you, they will treat you and it will definitely benefit you. Dr. Vale, I had so many more questions for you on how to administer first aid. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but you do have a blog on valleywisehealth.org so uh, people can go and read all about um, disaster preparedness. Thank you so much for your information and taking time to talk with us today. Really interesting conversation. My pleasure. Anytime. We hope you enjoyed listening to Valley Well Valle Salute, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. There, you'll find blogs and videos from our healthcare providers, and you can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.